Hi, I'm Rob S., also known as MC, host of the Peach and Black podcast, and welcome to Rob S. Presents. Recently, I caught up with Australian musician Hearts for a feature in-depth conversation about his debut album, Daydreamer, his passion for music, and his opportunity to jam with Prince. Hearts is one of the most exciting and interesting new artists in today's musical landscape. So listen in for an insight into the creative mind of Hearts. We start our conversation by talking about the positive feedback and praise that his music has been receiving all around the globe. Thanks so much for taking the time. You're getting a lot of hype online since your album's been released. How does that feel waking up in the morning and, and logging onto the internet and seeing all these fabulous reviews about your new release? It's cool and it's really encouraging. And as you said, like it literally is me waking up in the morning because a lot of it is does come from overseas in the US and, and Europe and the UK. Really um, giving me a big confidence boost. Quincy Jones, Quest, Love of the Roots, and obviously Prince. Yeah. Um, tell me a little bit about the, the feeling that kind of goes through your body, through your mind when, when someone like that reaches out to you. It's After you get over the initial shock of it being like, kind of questioning yourself like you know is it real for one (laughs) is it legitimate and after you get over that it's kind of really gratifying and and satisfying to know that you you're kind of doing good you know and that's really hard for a for a musician like me to kind of i guess come to terms with that like my music is actually really reaching the people that inspired me to make it and i'm getting that same respect and praise from the people that inspired me to make that music and that's that was really kind of shock and and it was a little bit hard to deal with at first because I I wasn't <laughs> I couldn't comprehend it as you can imagine like I I was kind of flipping out about it but over time it kind of sunk in and and it kind of really um, made me feel proud of of what I'm doing and um, obviously gave me that big confidence boost like the fans and stuff like that have been giving me and that kind of in- encourages me to to pursue um, music and and pursue it you are I mean your new record is absolutely spectacular and it's not just me saying that when people describe your music it's not kind of black and white there's always everyone's got a different take it seems on what you're doing yeah that's Um, correct yeah you know whether it's a blend of the the rock funk soul and pop that's just one angle and and you know people talk about electro people talk about disco a new wave some people are even saying you're inventing a new genre and I find it hard to disagree with those sorts of people. I want to talk about your new record, but I thought what we might do is start a little bit about talking about your musical beginnings. I read you were born in India. Yeah. Moved to Australia. How old were you when you actually arrived in Oz? Oh, I was real young, probably one or two. I was just okay. a baby, yeah. A lot of people actually don't don't know that I'm Indian. When they meet me, they think I'm just like a really tanned Aussie guy. <laughs> so I kind of I fit in here pretty well, so yeah. What's it? What was it like, or what is it like, um, living in Melbourne from a, from a musical point of view? Is it an inspiring place musically? Um, I think it can be. There's a bunch of like cool bands that really don't get enough attention as they deserve, and you know, like you can go into every second bar in the city on even a weeknight. You know, there's always live bands playing and stuff like that. There's always live music going on, and there's you know some incredible musicians around. Can you recall what got you into music uh, in the first place? Yeah, well, I wasn't really one of those kids that grew up wanting to be a famous musician or wanting to be a rock star or anything like that. I kind of got into music pretty late, if you think about it, when I was about maybe 15 or 16. Friends in school were kind of getting into it at the same time, and it just seemed interesting to me, and I kind of saw what they were doing. They were playing guitar and drums and things like that, and, and it just, yeah, it just seemed really interesting, and I kind of went into it um, from, from friends, and I started playing drums first off, and I thought I was going to be a drummer. 
for a long time um, until I kind of switched to guitar after that. But yeah, I would basically say it's just from friends that were around me um, already into music. What kind of stuff were they listening to or what kind of stuff were they, you know, tipping you off to? Oh man, it was all punk rock, man, back then. <laughs> but, but it was like that. Like I, I, I kind of grew. I kind of came out of the punk, I guess, scene. Like because obviously my friends that were playing in music were only really playing rock. I kind of fell into that. It was only later that I discovered other genres that I really liked, like you know the funk and the hip hop and the soul. But I kind of came from, from almost I would say rock and, and a grunge kind of background. You, I would presume drifted towards something a little bit different as you, as you mentioned earlier the funk and yeah. the soul vibes how did that happen did it just kind of naturally you founded some records lying around the place or was it did someone introduce you to it well the rock thing was kind of i really liked it and i was really into the blues at first and that's kind of what really got me into playing guitar but i kind of i don't know i, I kind of got a little bit bored of the rock kind of thing and from um i got an older brother who used to play um you know earth wind fire um Isley Brothers, Prince, and all that kind of music around the house. And, you know, when I was kind of getting more fed up with the with the rock stuff, I was listening to what he was playing, and it really stood out, and it really sounded really good to me. And it's particularly Earth, Wind, Fire, and the Isley Brothers. Um, he used to play, like, their albums all the time. That's what, you know, influenced me into, you know, picking up that sort of music, and that was the, the main um, turning point for me to, to, to go into another different style. Because I was predominantly playing blues music, playing, you know, Jimi Hendrix and buddy guy and artists like that just on guitar and things like that and yeah it was just um i guess my older brother just playing songs around the house that just opened me up to that other style of music when someone listens to your debut album i think that they could they could hear that there's such a strong rhythmic feel uh you know an electro funk feel and and also bits of rock guitar or rock guitar elements thrown in and out of much of your material as far as your own sound how do you bring it all together i know that might be a loaded question but somehow it sounds original in 2014 you know you've got all these influences but somehow you put them together into a, a blender so to speak and, yeah. and out comes hearts it's quite remarkable thank you i appreciate that I don't know, like it's as I was learning different instruments, I was kind of taking different things that I liked from playing that instrument and it was I was unaware of it at the time, but you know, a lot of the stuff I learned from drums, like straight out rhythms and, and rock rhythms and stuff that kind of fed directly into the way I do funk and um, that kind of pounding drum sound and things like that that I that I really like from the rock way. Obviously the guitar my guitar playing comes from Jimi Hendrix and Buddy Guy that were big influences. Um, I think it was just learning different aspects and learn, as I was learning different aspects of music and learning different instruments, they kind of were embedded in what I was as an artist kind of thing. They, they kind of came together really naturally. It wasn't like I ever set out to make the perfect blend. I still don't do that. I don't sit down and write a song and be like, oh, well, this has too much, this has too much rock. I need to put some more funk or this has too much something. I need to do something else with it. Prince is sitting behind his laptop one day and starts YouTubing uh, video clips and stumbles across some of your work <laughs> yeah. and you know the very next thing you know you're receiving a personal invitation from one of pop music's you know greatest living musicians tell me a little bit about that experience from you know getting that invitation to flying over to to paisley park and then just how how was it well you know basically he He's, he's told me um, that he's had heard my music and, and seen my live videos on YouTube. And, um, you know, he's, 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 uh, he got his manager to get in touch with um, us. As you can imagine, I thought it was a joke. I thought it was like, you know, some sort of scam or something like that. But we checked it out and, you know, it seemed pretty legit. And, you know, we, we replied and 
since then it was back and forth emailing and um, one day got asked for my phone number and yeah I got a call out of the blue and it was Prince. He basically just said he liked what I was doing and um, he invited me over to, to Paisley Park to spend some time and, and show me some, some stuff that he had going on. So it was really cool. How did you find being around him as a musician? Inspiring because he's the kind of guy that, that when I was kind of creating my music, I really liked the way he was able to blend all those genres together and, and do it in such a unique way that, that, that is Prince. And that is something that I kind of tried to incorporate with, with my stuff, obviously, I don't want to copy him, but the way he kind of modeled his sound, it was really inspiring to me. So just being around him and, and hearing what he had to say, and he told me a lot of stuff of, from back in the day, and, you know, he gave me a lot of stories and things like that and from, from how he kind of created what he was doing at the time. And it kind of was just a really inspiring thing to be around him, and it was a, it was a good message for, for me to hear some stuff because it wasn't always positive um, stuff he was telling me about my music. It wasn't always positive, but it was good to hear that from you know such an iconic music legend and obviously one of my biggest idols to tell me that and tell me in a respectful kind of way, and it was just a really inspiring place. I think Paisley Park ha- kind of has that. It's all about music. Um, there's music everywhere you turn. You jammed with his band, Third Eye Girl, and jammed with some of his session musicians. Was he a part of that? I wonder if, if he actually picked up a bass or picked up a guitar at any point and kind of jammed with everyone. Yeah, he was a part of it. That's fantastic. That, I was, mean, that's what, what, a, what a surreal moment. I, I yeah, it was, it was amazing. I played a bunch of stuff with him. I played with his Third Eye Girl band as well as some stuff with MPG, and he was a part of both of it. Um, and one thing that stood out straight to straight away that Prince is an amazing bass player. He is literally an amazing bass player, and that that was a big kind of thing for me to to, to hear him play bass. It was amazing, man. Like just just watching him and you know being around musicians of that caliber and stuff was was surreal and and it was a bit of a trip. But you know um, after I got my head around it a bit, um, I started feeling a little more a lot more comfortable playing with them. It was a, it was a good experience. It's an amazing experience. Yeah, it it sounds absolutely fantastic. As far as as uh, instruments and picking up an instrument, you said you started playing drums first, and then you you progressed on, onto guitar. When we listen to your record, it's it says on it that that it's it's written by you, it's played by you, recorded, produced, and mixed by you. That's an incredible feat to accomplish for just one guy. I know that Triple J described you as a one man music making machine. Tell me about the process of working on your first full-length LP entirely on your own. How does it work? How how does it feel walking into that studio and painting on a blank canvas? Yeah, it, it really does feel like painting on a blank canvas. Well, kind of my studio is, is in my house, so I kind of have been working on music since you know, 2009 or 2010 or so when I kind of started getting more into recording and trying to learn the production side and mixing and all that sort of stuff. But I was always working on, on my craft. Like it, it like a lot of people have said, you know, oh, the album's fantastic. It seems like it came out of nowhere. But at the same time, I've been working on my craft for a long time that I think it really shows on the album, um, kind of my, where I'm at musically and things like that. And I try to incorporate as much as I can musically um, into the album to kind of, you know, really portray that, that, that side of what I'm trying to do with music. I, I wasn't actually planning to do an album this quickly. I was always under the impression that, you know, the music industry is turning into a singles market you know not many people even care about albums you know you can just keep turning out singles and and that's that can keep you rolling but it was actually after a call with Andre Simone that um, really kind of challenged me about making an album and challenged me about what I what I want to do with music 
And he kind of said to me, you know, your singles are cool and stuff like that, but a lot of people will take you more seriously if you had an album or like kind of, he said it something like that, but he put it in such a respectful and nice way. And I kind of thought about it for a bit. And this was like maybe late last year. And I thought about it for a long time. And, and I said, you know what? I think I can do an album. I think I can do a good album, a great album right now. There's no point waiting around until like, you know, you have enough buzz or you have have enough hype around you to release that big debut album that everyone's waiting for. I don't think I'm that type of musician. I, I think I should just make an album, put it out now. And that was my, that was my thinking process, really. Like I was trying to make the best album I could, obviously, but I didn't want to make a big buzz hype type masterpiece up front because, you know, a lot of artists try to do that with their first release and, you know, sometimes their second and thirds, if there is a third or fourth, yeah. Um, they don't really, they, they don't have that longevity. And I kind of thought maybe, well, I should just put out the first album now and at least it's a starting point and I'm really proud of the music I've, I've done on it. Yeah, I think this is, a, a, it's a good entry point for me as a musician to put out a full-length album. Did you have a concept in mind? <laughs> Not really until I started writing it because a lot of the stuff I was writing at the time and a lot of stuff I still am writing is based around a certain theme that I've kind of been thinking and kind of, I guess, pondering for a while. And that's mostly the theme that comes across in the album. And um, I think it really came together as a body of work when I started lyrically putting these songs together. And I was kind of blessed to have a good strike rate with songs. Like, there wasn't a whole lot of songs from the sessions that didn't make it. Like, I'm not one of those artists that that wrote, like, 20 songs and cut 10 off. And you self-produced this as well, that you've taken all of this responsibility for, for the creation of this release, which is quite a bold move for, for someone coming onto the scene. For a lot of people, certainly some people would be aware from your off-time EP, but I think a lot more people have heard of you now and, and will hear of you from, from the release of Daydreamer. Were you tempted to seek an external producer? Did, did that come into your mind at all, or were you always sure that you were going to self-produce this album? I would say that I was always sure about it because from earlier days um, I had worked with other producers and it was it was fine like I, I enjoyed it and I enjoyed learning from other producers just being creative in the studio with other people but I kind of had my mind set from day one about as, handling as much of the music as I can myself because that's just something that I feel really strongly about and something that I think is kind of I guess I could say kind of missing um, today like I would love to see like a Stevie Wonder or a Prince or something like that around today the one that can play all the instruments and write really good songs and really good actual you know pop tunes as well but keep that kind of credible musicianship and credible aspect to that and that was just something that I always had in my vision and I for, for my own music and and I think that vision is better portrayed when I handle all the music myself and as far as touring this album what will people see when your show hits the stage will it be hearts the solo performance or will it be hearts and co um i'm still kind of working that out if you'd seen my instagram posts and stuff like that recently i've been jamming with a few different people like i'm still kind of working that out it sounds really good with the band some of the songs some of the songs don't necessarily work like that some of the songs work really well as a solo performance like with loops and and the stuff that i kind of do now i'm just kind of tossing it up like at the moment i'm planning to do a lot of solo shows basically me with a bunch of electronics and you know looper machines and drum machines and all that sort of stuff kind of recreating the songs live you know this record's really heavy on grooves and you, you mentioned the word loops a second ago is that generally what you start with the the groove itself as the bass yeah, pretty much. A lot of the songs start like that, like with a basic groove and then I'll have a chord progression and a melody, like the most simplest kind of way you could do it. Like some songs start with just me and an acoustic guitar, just the chords and the melody. When I 
get into the studio and I produce it, it comes out like something like Golden Beach. Started with just an acoustic guitar and a, and my singing voice melody, and obviously I created everything around that and kind of did it, did it that way. Yeah, it's it's different for for, for every song. Like there's no set way that I kind of work. Yeah, it just comes in in different ways. Depends on on the situation. Like a lot of the the melody ideas actually came from that moment when you're just waking up but you're still in a dream. That yeah. kind of moment in the morning. I get a lot of melody ideas then, you know, so strongly that sometimes I think they're actually a melody from a popular song. But like, you know, I I, I sing it to people. I do all I can to make sure that it's not a proper, it's not already a song. <laughs> do and, do the appropriate checks. Yeah, I have to. Some of the strongest melodies came out like that. Like "Lovers in Bloom" came like that. What else came like that? A few, a few strong melodies on the album just came from from those moments. And so really you're building a song on your own out of thin air, right? I mean, especially considering that you can't rely on your bandmates to play off because there aren't any. So yeah. you walk into the studio and something happens, which is quite remarkable. And when you listen to your release, a lot of the music, if not all of it, sounds incredibly well thought out. It's cohesive. As I said, the groove element is so strong. And, and a lot of people that are listening to Daydreamer are, are saying that. There's also a slight similarity, again, not to harp on the point of, of the Prince comparisons, but there's there's something to that, you know, that one-man band performance. But somehow a lot of people have commented to us that when they hear the record, they ask us, who's the band? You know, who, who's the yeah. artist? Who's that great new band from from Melbourne? And then they realize that it's one guy. So I, yeah. I think it's that that's definitely unique. Yeah, the, the Prince can comparisons are a compliment that's that's something prince said to me himself he kind of said it in a in a funny joking way but he's like suppose that's a good thing kind of thing when when he was reading some tweets <laughs> he was reading some tweets that he had just tweeted out yeah no it's a it's a really positive thing for me to hear that because obviously he's one of my kind of biggest idols in that sense and yeah, like I definitely take those comparisons as a, as a compliment. To the point where even Prince himself has been quoted as naming Red and Blue his favourite song off the album. Obviously, he's heard the album. I, I did hear you mention that he played this album at Paisley Park to his band members and, and other people that were there at the time. Is it a coincidence that you decided to open the album up with that particular track? You know what, man? That song was actually not the first song on the album. <laughs> After I talked to Prince about it, that's when we put it as the first song. And that's oh, really? When, yeah, yeah. And then that's that led to my decision to put it out as a single, actually. Okay. Because I actually hadn't heard a lot of feedback on that song. Like, I'd showed the, the album to a lot of people, and everyone was, like, digging, like, the kind of more, more pop kind of tracks. And I thought that was just going to be one of those great songs on the album. I, I wasn't planning on it doing stuff. It was only until we started showing... Prince and, and everybody at Paisley Park loved it. From then we started kind of showing a lot more people just that song um, by itself and a lot more people you know really gravitated towards it and I think he, he was the one that saw that something in that song and, and pointed it out to me that I didn't necessarily see in my own work. Obviously sometimes that's one of the downfalls of being um, in control all the time. You can't mm. always assess your music. You can't, yeah, you, you need that, that, that kind of um, outside assessment sometimes. And he gave the perfect assessment to that song. And, you know, since putting out as a single, obviously it's got Triple J rotation. It's doing well on the blogs. It's doing well overseas as well. It's turning into my kind of more successful song, I guess, that kind of signature song that everyone's going to know. And that kind of decision was, was, was made by, by him, I would say, yeah. Not directly, not directly directly but he he kind of led on to that and that kind of put, put that idea in my mind and I was like okay I see what he's saying
And all of a sudden, this this is the single and, and the album opener, right? So, it's funny when you know when you combine red and blue, you get purple. So he must be onto something, and it's no surprise yeah, yeah. that you Prince is the end of that. You know, it's funny, man. I didn't even think of that. Someone <laughs> someone on Twitter told me that. When oh, really? I put it out. Yeah, when I put it out, and I was like, "Whoa, man! I didn't even think of that." I was like, "Oh, that's funny." And that was never mentioned. Nobody mentioned it until some someone on Twitter mentioned it for the first time. Yeah. I guarantee you, Prince himself was thinking that when he, when you were there, but he just probably didn't have the <laughs> <laughs> the guts yeah. to bring it up. Um, so, so that's his favorite song on the album. I'll ask you another loaded question here: What is your favorite song of Prince's? Or, or I'll make it slightly easier. One of your favorites? Man, there's heaps. I really dig "Strange Relationship." I really dig "Pop Life." Okay. Um, I really dig. Actually, I like the whole "Around the World in a Day" album. Like I really like that album. I really dig "Sign of the Times" as a track. Like uh, that's, I would probably say that's that's one of my favorites. Man, ah, oh, there's, there's 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 tons. I actually really like "Condition of the Heart" from "Around the World in a Day." Mm-hmm. I don't know. Like I like a lot of his material. If I had to choose one right now, it changes every day, of course. Today, <laughs> yeah. Today, I would probably say "Sign of the Times," the track. Yeah. All right. He's about to release two new records. Did you get to hear much of that while you were over there? Or? Yeah, I did. He played a bunch of tracks off um, Collectrum Lectrum and Artificial Age while I was there. And uh, yeah, it sounded good. Fantastic. So while we have Prince fans all over the world, you know, waiting in anticipation, you're over there standing at Paisley Park listening to this stuff, getting an exclusive um, pre-release listen. One of only very few people, I'd guess. Yeah, uh, yeah. Well, he didn't say he didn't say what we were listening to. He just brought me, but it was it was obvious because obviously the Plectrum Electrum stuff is more rock based, and I think four four of the tracks or maybe more have Hannah on vocals. Yeah, he he played a bunch in a row, and um, yeah, it was cool. One that really stood out to me was the the Gold Standard. It's off artificial age because he, he played it after a slower one and it really popped out <laughs> popped out in the studio and everyone was like man this sounds this sounds cool but um he didn't play clouds actually and clouds was one of the ones um i heard when it was released i really liked that one too so yeah we're just keeping the kind of prince connection going earlier this year you remixed slash reworked the song entitled naked by andre simone who you mentioned earlier that song is off his album the stone how did that happen, and why was that song specifically chosen to rework? 
Well, I, I got in contact with Andre just via Twitter, um, I think late last year. I was sending my music to a bunch of people, trying to get as much kind of people listening as possible. And um, it really stood out to him. And he kind of contacted me back and said, hey, this is really great stuff. Have you got any more? And, and you know, we started talking and talking about music. I, I'd send him tracks um, that, I was going, that I was about to release early and just to get his feedback on them, and um, he really liked it. And I don't, I don't know when, when it was... I don't, I don't know if it was him that asked for me to remix or me to ask him that remix, because I had known that he was about to put out an album. This was, like, maybe late last year, earlier this year. I think it, it must have been me. I must have asked if I can potentially remix a song. Basically, after then, he just gave me the album, said, choose which one you want. And I thought Naked had a, had a really good message in it, and it was obviously a rock track, but I kind of saw a way to, to make it more into a... What I do which is that kind of electro funk rock hybrid and I, I kind of saw that in that song and um, you know I, I just kind of did it in a few days and we were happy with it. You, you mentioned that Andre's song Naked has that rock feel you, you took it completely onto the dance floor by giving that that sort of disco and house feel yeah. It's such a stark contrast to his album version which I think is great it's, it's like, almost like night and day light and shade yeah, um, I think Andre's one of those art, like those, you know, great artists that that write songs that can work in a lot of ways. And um, a lot of the stuff I I do does have that 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 kind of rock aspect somewhere. Like for me, it's Andre's vocals that is slightly distorted, and just his delivery on it that kind of brings that that rock and roll kind of attitude to it. But at the same time, as you said, it is kind of a dance floor type funk vibe, and I wanted to go for that kind of aspect a little more. You've decided not to take up what I would call a traditional record deal and release this on an amalgam of labels and outlets, including your own label, Off Time Music. Yeah. Can you tell me a little bit about that decision? After kind of parting with Universal, I kind of thought that, you know, for where I am in my career, which is basically scratch starting from ground zero, um, there's not a whole lot a label can really do until you build up your following yourself anyway. How about social media? Um, it's so prevalent now, we, we can't escape it, and social media seems to be a huge aspect of the the modern music industry. Do you think it helps or hinders artists? Has it helped or hindered you? It, it depends how you go about it. Um, I think it's helped me a lot in terms of connecting with fans and stuff, but I think it hinders a lot of artists that don't really use it properly. Um, I read all the comments. I always try my best to, to reply to people that have questions and things like that. I was never in the in the industry early enough to know a period where it wasn't competitive. So I've always had to fight for that kind of yeah. I've always had to c- kind of compete with with the massive kind of variety of artists just trying to get people to listen to their music and you know sending it to bloggers, uploading to YouTube, and just doing anything they can just to get people to listen. And I think that has kind of devalued a lot of the music because artists are putting their music out for free and they're they're giving it away to everyone just in the hope that people will spread it and things like that and there's nothing wrong with that like that's super cool but when everybody does that it kind of devalues the art form and people kind of get sick of of bands just giving them stuff for free and you know they expect it for free from now on yeah and like i'm not saying everybody expects it for free but there's, there's a good majority of people that just kind of expect music for free just because it is, you know? I don't know, it's kind of a double-edged question because you can, you, can, you can argue both sides of it. For me, I think social media has, 
helped me a lot, particularly um, engage with with new fans because um, a lot of basically a lot of my my fan base or supporters and stuff like that are, are all there from word of mouth. It's only now that like radio is starting to attract people and all those other avenues are starting to attract more people. A recommendation from a friend in person is like so much more powerful than than social media. Yeah, and and I think that will resonate with a lot of people that were around in in the era of vinyl or even in the era of CDs, which seemed to be heading towards potentially becoming a dead medium. But it was that personal contact. It was walking into a record shop or sitting around a cheap Philips (laughs) stereo and and just experiencing music um, in a more social, social aspect. And I hear what you're saying. The music scene seems to be overcrowded and really only the most unique voices get to the top or the 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 voices that have the most corporate kind of backing behind them you're not part of that corporate machine at the moment and i'd argue that your um your music and your albums rising to the top by virtue of the fact that it's not only unique but people are obviously enjoying the music that's on there now how do you know when you've got something good when is a song good enough to release for hearts i think it's pretty personal as in like if i'm satisfied with it and i'm happy with it and it makes me dance and it makes me kind of happy to really i would be proud to release it i think that's that's good enough for me like i'm i'm kind of one of those obsessive um artists in the studio that like i'm really uh, like when it comes down to it i'm an absolute perfectionist everything has to be as close to perfect as it possibly can because i don't think i can ever get to perfect (laughs) but everything everything has to be that that level and when something is not that level it's not good enough for me where do the lyrics come from? Did the lyrics just come to you all of a sudden? Are they are they related to, to something in particular, or, or would you rather not say? They they kind of come with with imagery. Like a lot of my lyrics come from an image, like in my mind, of where I'd I'd, I'd like to be. You know, kind of thing. Under falling skies is kind of I don't know. It, it is hard to explain, and it's and it's really hard to articulate. But I I kind of have when I listen to because I put the music down before I do any of the words. That's kind of. If I had any process, I would say that I would probably do the music always first and then the melody and then the words comes kind of after that for me. It's just naturally, that's just the way it works. But when I was listening back to the track, I had I had written the chord progression, I had everything done. I had this mental kind of image, just a kind of place, like an isolated place that I'd, I'd like to be, you know, like far from the world. And, and that's kind of the same idea that's in Golden Beach and, you know, sometimes... I get really frustrated with with things and you know the, the way of the world and particularly with the music industry a lot I get a, a really frustrated with that and it was just kind of a, those images that circulate in my mind when I hear music like that is kind of a bit of an escape and I think that was the whole con- context surrounding the whole lyrics on that kind of escapism type vibe and it's just something that I the words come naturally when when I when I think about um, writing it just they just come out like that, and um, after one line, I'll get the next line, and then after that next line, that'll spur on the next line, and then after mm-hmm. that next line, and it'll just keep flowing from there. And you know, sometimes it's you—you you are literally—and it sounds cliche—and a lot of people say you are literally an antenna for just the work that that you know, the music that God flows through you, and right. and, and wants you to 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 put out, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And you necessarily don't really know what the meaning is. You know what I mean? But for me, it's. It's it's more of an image based meaning rather than um, a personal experience or things like that. So you mentioned images and kind of images circling around, which is a cool way to put it. Speaking of images, some of the live video performances filmed in your studio of the music on this album. In those videos, we can see some paintings in the background. What's the story behind those? Uh, did you paint them? Are they favorite paintings of yours? 
Well, I, I didn't paint them, no. Um, I have a friend that's a painter, and he um, predominantly paints cars with um, this really cool pleasant paint. That studio that those are filmed in is actually a friend of mine's studio. He kind of just decorated the place with, with his painting, and, and I really liked what he did, and um, I actually asked him to paint my guitar after that, and that's why you can see the, the painting on my guitar. I didn't actually do that. It was, it was him that painted it. Well, that's and, right. There, there goes my next question. I was going to say your guitar <laughs> has very similar artwork, that kind of paisley pattern. Yeah, gonna, he painted it. You, where, where do those images come from? That that real psychedelic look. But now we know. He um he he's a really interesting he's a really interesting guy. A lot of the, the gigs that I play at that venue, he he paints the music. Like he comes down like every night they have a gig, and he would just set up a canvas and he would just start stroking in beat to the music, and it'll come out like something psychedelic like that. And a lot of the times he's painted a lot of my gigs. And a lot of the times they come out as as I as I think they they come out, which is mm. a lot of red and blue. And he kind of feels the same way. And I just kind of connected with him as as an artist, even though I'm not a visual artist or a painter or anything like that. I just really connected with him, and I and I kind of told him that you know what colors I, I see when I go for, when I you know create music. And I just said you know do do what you do on my guitar. So he listened to my music and he just painted that on my guitar. So yeah, that's it's quite remarkable. You're you're playing your instrument with with a graphical representation of your own music by another artist. That's pretty cool. It is, yeah. Do you see your your studio as a kind of playground or more like a science lab or, or both? Ooh, that's a tough one. At the start, it was more like a playground because um, I was getting really into like you know software plugins and gear and things like that, and I was I was trying my best to, to find everything I can mm-hmm. to, to try and create stuff and like more toys to play with, you know, all that sort of stuff, more synths, you know, more analog stuff, and then it did turn into a bit of a science. Mad science lab, and it kind of is now. It's 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 really messy in there, and and there's just things all over the place because I'm working on some new stuff. I don't know. I found my like satisfaction with the tools I have at the moment. So it's I'm not really discovering any any new kind of technology, and I haven't been for a couple of years. It's it's weird. Like if you saw a picture of it, and or if I posted a picture of, of where I make my music, people would be like, really. Like it just looks like a ha- like looks like a bedroom, a messy bedroom in a house, and there's like a whole bunch of gear everywhere, and there's no <laughs> mad paintings on the wall. There's no like it's not a good atmosphere. It's just a, your standard as bedroom, and there's just all my gear in there. So and it's not even soundproof or anything. It's just it's just really a lo-fi kind of <laughs> kind of thing I got going. But it works for me because I'm used to that, and I'm used to you know the way it sounds in there, and I'm used to producing in there, and I'm I'm, I'm just kind of comfortable. But at the same time, there's there's moments when you know some of the greatest stuff I've come up with is come out of a discomfort, you know, particularly with my guitar playing. Mm. A lot of my guitars are really cheap. 
that I pretty much built, like that guitar that's painted, I, I made myself, and it's really dodgy. Like it's it, it plays really hard. Well, it, do, it doesn't sound dodgy, believe no, me. No, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. But if you change the settings, like it does a sweet spot. But if you change the settings to anything else, like print, because Prince play, had played the guitar as well. He and, played that one. Yeah, he played that one. <laughs> what a moment! I would have and, loved to be a fly on the wall. Yeah, and he was playing with the settings, and he was just like. I could see on his face, he was like, this sounds terrible. And I was like, yeah, that's right, yeah. But um, no, it's it's not necessarily, I don't have the best gear, put it that way. Like some of the, the struggle in, in playing, playing like a bad instrument comes out that way. And I've gotten so used to it that it doesn't even occur to me that, you know, the frets are way too high and the strings and the buzz like crazy and things like that. But I just got used to it. So, yeah. It sounds like a great way to put fellow musicians off. You, you <laughs> meet, them uh, at a, meet them at a gig one day. Here, try, try my guitar for a second. <laughs> yeah. No, it's, yeah, it's not like <laughs> someone described it the other day as um, being like you running a race, but um, no one knows that you're wearing like ankle weights and stuff. <laughs> so you're kind of competing with everybody else, but it's, you're actually doing more work. Yeah. It reminds me a little bit of um statement that Jack White made about creativity and he kind of said look the easiest thing in the in the world to do for a musician seems to be to surround themselves with everything that is literally everything that is available. You look yeah. left, you look right, you've got all the tools of the trade. I'm not quoting him here, but the point that he was making was when you limit yourself to something or when you put yourself into a corner sometimes that's when a lot of you know a great creativity seems to come out so it sounds like there might be a parallel to what the, or the yeah. way that you're describing your your home studio yeah i think i would i would agree with with what he said i kind of more would agree with that in terms of just your basic kind of production stuff like a lot of this like i literally have i think two synths like I don't have like a whole bunch of stuff. I don't. I've only got one drum kit, and it was the same drum kit I bought when I was like 15 years old. You know, I don't have a whole bunch of gear, but I am able to make that gear work for me. And I think um, I don't know what he said about it, but you know, like having everything that you could possibly have and just the best stuff and like everything. I think that I, I would I would agree with him. I don't know if it would, it'll definitely make you feel like you have everything and maybe your music will kind of suffer for that. I think maybe doing more with what you have is a better way to, to do it than, you know, just relying on the fact of you can have the best equipment and you can have the best kind of studio to do it all in and, and all that kind of stuff. I think, yeah, I think my bedroom kind of studio kind of fits in with what he was saying. Yeah. <laughs> and what can we expect next from Hearts? You mentioned you were working on something at the moment. Yeah, well, I'm working on new tracks at the moment for um, a possible a second album. Yeah, for, for the rest of the year, um, play the album around as, as much as I can and, you know, sell some CDs and, and try and, you know, yeah, slog it out on the road, I guess, for the, for the, for the remainder of the year. You know, hopefully some big opportunities come my way to, to do some more international shows and um, hopefully I can establish myself as, as what I'm trying to be and things like that and a lot more awareness about my music will, will be around and, I can, um, you know, get some bigger opportunities. But at the moment, all I have plans is just touring, really. All right. Um, I also heard from someone the other day that you were potentially looking at collaborating with one half of electro group Empire of the Sun. Any, oh, truth, yeah. any truth to that rumor? Yeah, no, sorry. <laughs> That's correct. I completely forgot about that. <laughs> no, but I'm really looking forward to it. And yeah, at some point at the end of the year, I'm not sure when because nothing's really set in. But um, I've been talking to Nick Littlemore from um, Empire of the Sun and Penow and um, I really like Manau's work on um, their remix album of the Elton John, their Elton John remix right, album right, from 2012. Yeah. I really liked it. I kind of got in touch with him and, and said I really liked it and sent him some of my music and he kind of flipped out too and he was like, man, we got to work together. we got to do something, 
something cool. So we're kind of thinking at this stage, a kind of new project separate from, from everything, from, from scratch, and um, it could work out really good. And um, so we're just trying to figure out when that's going to be. If it's not maybe the end of this year, it would probably be early next year or whenever I can. But as I said, it's not really set, set in stone as to when we're going to be collaborating on that. So that's why it slipped my mind. It could be on the horizon for people that are, for any Empire of the Sun fans out there, um, certainly yeah. something to, look, to potentially look forward to. Yeah. It would be remiss of me not to mention the album cover artwork just briefly there might be a potential vinyl release of of your record this would look absolutely stunning on that you know full full size feature art cover art what inspired or what what kind of drove you to to come up with that sort of you know salvador dali-esque in, hmm. in parts uh, presentation and, and there's also a little speed limit there that's got a, the, a 23 <laughs> there's a few little things and i don't think you can see them because on a computer it's, it's shrinked and that's why i mean like putting on a vinyl would be cool like there's a there's a bottle of words in in the water which is a lyric from the song tide oh that's and right i just noticed that now there's some other hidden things that i don't want to say yet <laughs> i want i want people to find them i originally had told because the the guy that designed the artwork is like one of my best friends i've known him for, for so long and and he does kind of artwork design things like that and i had asked him well i put the kind of vision that i had in my mind to him and said you know i want things to represent like the song titles and lyrics from the songs like the birds and the skies you know, represents feather and your know, red. It has to be, there has to be a majority of red and blue on there, you know, ro- um, roses falling from the sky, things like that, that are reflective of the lyrics. And I kind of wanted it to tie in with the vision that I kind of had. And he came up with a few options. And I, I, I just think that one was the, was the one, like uh, when I saw it, I was like, yeah. And I said, is it fine? <laughs> That's the first question I asked him, like, is it vinyl size? As in, did you make it big enough for a vinyl print? <laughs> Classic. Is it yeah. vinyl size? <laughs> yeah. Like, cause you know, when you design it digitally, I'm not, I'm not technically sure whether yeah. it can you know whether it, when you scale it it gets pixelated or something but um he said yeah yeah it should be fine on a vinyl so that was the first thing i was thinking of one of the things on our show that we often talk about when we review other artists in particular prince's work but but other um, artists of that caliber is we talk about listening to to records on headphones yeah. or listening to albums on headphones and this is a, a stunning headphone listen if i could say so myself it goes f- through so many different tempos, timings, you know, from the, the stop-start groove in, in red and blue to the relentless groove of leaving it all behind, blistering, scorching guitar solos to, you know, new wave madness, um, hip-hop, low-tempo hip-hop beats. I could go on and on. And the same, I could I could say the same for, for a lot of the other songs, including Feather. That's, to me, almost a modern-day Sheik-inspired groove. But you take it into a different direction because it's so incredibly tightly arranged. But at the end goes into this eerie bit almost reminding me i hate making comparisons because your work doesn't immediately necessarily have direct linkages and the other thing that pops into mind a lot of the time with your rhythm guitar playing it's so darn tight i could just picture Nile rogers groove into to it you know just sitting and <laughs> yeah head head bobbing so yeah and that's that that's something like as i said earlier like i really pay attention to to every aspect of what i'm trying to do there in terms of the perfectionist you know um, obsessive type by whatever you want to call it i really pay attention to every aspect of everything you know if the guitar if the guitar is like if it's supposed to be tight it better be pretty damn tight you know what i mean yeah, otherwise yeah. it's it's not kind of good enough for me and that's mm-hmm. the, the level of kind of my, my quality control with that so yeah and again the same can be said for 
for Daydream, guitar parts there. In fact, they remind me a little bit of Nile Rodgers, but the rhythms are off time or <laughs> a little bit delayed in parts. There's delay on your voice and yeah. the way that you're kind of melding the, the vocals, the ones that are in the forefront and the backgrounds are quite stunning to listen to. The drums just come in with heaps of reverbs and whatever other effects that you put on them. I'm not even going to ask you to, <laughs> to reveal the secrets of the trade, but that's also a particularly stunning song. Um, Thank you. And I, I forgot to forgot to say something about the fact that you guys listen to stuff on headphones. That's cool. No one's told me yet that they've they've actually really enjoyed it on on headphones. Like I'm I'm assuming people have because you know obviously a lot of people listen to it on headphones. But no one's pointed out that it, it is a good headphone listen. So thanks for that. Well, it really is, and I think that listening to music on headphones, if it's the right sort of stuff, I don't know how you feel about this, but you kind of get closer to the music, and I, I think closer to the artist, it becomes a more personal experience. So yeah. Yeah, it definitely is uh, the headphones, uh, thumbs up. And and the closer, what a stunning number that is. I mean, an epic eight-minute song about what, well, I, I, we might not need to go into that, but, um, <laughs> you know, leave it to the listeners to, to decide. But th- there is that reference or at least link to the front of the album cover, isn't there? Yeah, no, there, there is a link, mm. definitely. <laughs> yeah. So we'll, we'll, we'll let people think, ponder and, and consider what it could all be about um, from the album cover to the music within it. It's been a real, real pleasure having you on the show, talking to you about your, your music, your, your influences, some of your recent experiences. All I can say is that the press that you're getting at the moment is, is highly deserved. Um, it's, it's very warranted. I'm sure it's going to continue. So we really look forward to actually seeing you take a lot of this music out on the road. I think that's going to be fantastic. Yeah, man, I can't, I can't wait to actually perform it because it gives you that, that feel. It gives you a better feeling because you can never listen to your music that loud. Oh, well, I can't in my studio. <laughs> so when it comes out of the, like a performance type venue like, and you feel the bass in your chest, and you feel everything kind of vibrating around you. It's it's pretty big. Like it, it, some of the stuff sounds like absolutely massive when when I perform it. And I just love that feeling of, of playing and also performing for people and you know people seeing all all the tricks that I have to show and things like that <laughs> in my live performances. And yeah, it's just a fun experience, man. I can't wait. All right, and we should leave the listeners with links with regards to where they can pick the album up if you're listening in australia jb hi-fi um, shock records as well obviously they can go on to heartsmusic.com yeah purchase it off there and obviously itunes to amazon mp3 google play spotify okay again i hope to have you on you know next time around either when you're touring the country or, or potentially getting ready to prep another release yeah yeah it'd be great to talk to you and find out what's new in the world of hearts yeah cool man well um yeah thanks for the time man Thank you for listening to the show, and a big thank you to Hearts in joining me for an in-depth conversation. Until we meet again with another installment of Rob S. Presents.